Hey, we're in our final week of our preaching series, uh, One Small Step. <clears throat> next week, we're going to be, well, two weeks from now, next week's going to be a special Thanksgiving uh, message. But two weeks from now, we're going to be kicking off our Advent series, um, Joyful Expectation. Uh, we've been looking at this, very excited about it. I hope you guys will be excited. This is going to be a very, very uplifting message series, um, Joyful Expectation. Uh, but first, we've got to conclude this series, One Small Step. And here was the big idea when it comes to sharing the gospel. When we take one small step, they take one giant leap. And thus far in our series, we, we've looked at a lot of information, right? It, it, vital, important information. Let me recap very, very quickly. In week one, we found out that in order to share Christ, I mean, we can do good things. We can do loving things. We can go to church. We can, we can do all these things. But unless we bring God into the conversation... There's nothing really moving forward. We've got to bring God into the conversation, right? Week one. Um, week two, we found out that in order to take up our cross, we have to lay down our crowns, um, lay down our rights, our privileges, our, our honors. Um, they, they pale, right, in comparison to Christ. And they kind of get in the way sometimes with Christ's glory as we talk about us, right? So something we, we got to lay things down in order to, to take up the cross. And week three, we need to be making Disciple-making disciples who share the good news. And that, that's, our, that's our scorecard. Our scorecard really isn't how many people we have going to Sunday school. I mean, it's easy to make that our scorecard, right? I got numbers in our office. I know how many people show up each week. I know how many dollars are given. I mean, I, all these numbers, they count, right? But, but really, all of them are meant, are, are all tools that God has given us, means of grace to do what we've been called to do is to make disciples, disciple-making disciples who share the good news. And then finally, what is the good news? The fact that the gates of evil have fallen because Jesus Christ is the Son of God, number one, and as the Son of God, he has defeated sin and death, right? The gates have fallen. The evil one's house is open to plunder now. So this is all, this is all fantastic news, but this morning... I want to talk about an aspect of evangelism that has the power to destroy, to negate, and to rob us of the power and the message of, of all of these things. These, these all just kind of get knocked out if we don't get a grip on this one thing that we're going to look at this morning. I want to do a little object lesson here. I saw this, a pastor, it's not my object lesson, but I was quite fascinated with it. We have here in front of you, I don't know if you can see it very well, um, Mr. Red, Mrs. Red. It could be two males, two males, it doesn't really matter. They're two people and they're just living their life. Right, each one of them, they have their beliefs, they have their lifestyles, they have their opinions, they voted a certain way, and, and they, they know each other, kind of, right, and then they know each other's names, but they really never spent any time together, and so suddenly they start spending time together, and they start sharing ideas, and then they run into each other, and I want you to notice something that just happened here in front of me. Out of this individual, right, they bumped, and then stuff came out of both of them. Stuff came out of both of them. Out of this individual on the left, though, if you were up here, you'd notice that what came out of this person was M&Ms, sweetness, joy, grace. and It was in her. It didn't matter what the situation was, what the issue was, what the bump was all about. But this person, what flew out of this person was goodness and joy. But what, what came out of this guy were rocks. Right? Rocks came out of him. And immediately this, this person is screaming at this person, look what you made me do. Look, you made me get mad. You, look what you caused. Your opinion, you're dumb. 
right? And I don't like you. And, and these rocks, they hurt people. Now, here's the thing to remember. It didn't matter what the issue was. It didn't matter what the bump was all about. What came out of these two people was already there. It did not require the bump. The bump just brought it out. In one person, there was joy, deep-seated, resolved joy and happiness, and nothing was going to rob that person. But this other one here on the right, your left, they were just filled with unresolved resentment. I, I don't know what their issue was, but it came out, rocks came flying, and people got hurt. In the same way, my little brother, I've shared this with you. He had a temper, and everybody knew it. And I was his big brother, so I was the only one that could get away with playing with that hair trigger of his, right? He just, he just had a hair trigger. And so one day, I think I shared this with you before, I got to share it again, I decided I'm going to show everybody what a nut job he is. And so I put a paper bag with a tape recorder in it, and I pushed record, and I, just, and I, I started saying the magic word, because I knew what his hair trigger was. I knew what his button was. 40 years ago, my little brother had gender identity issues, I, you know, whatever. I thought y'all thought that was a new thing, but no, no, it was around. Because if I called him a woman, I know it, this is horrible, I know this. And I've been forgiven, I've sought forgiveness, and I've been forgiven. If I, if I called him a woman, I could get him to do anything. He would go ballistic, anything. It, it didn't matter. All I had to say is that word. And he was offended. I, Sorry, ladies, <laughs> just the way Robbie was. He was just so deeply offended that, again, I could just push that button and get him to do just about anything. I was banking. I was counting on his well-known anger, and I was playing with it, right? So here's what happens if you have any strongly held like my brother, but maybe you've got your own strongly held deep-seated opinions over, well, Anything, maybe it's gender identity issues, you know, 50 years past that. Maybe it's a political, emotional, religious, or spiritual hair trigger issue in your life. Here's what happens if you've got that, and maybe you've got several of them. Instead of being in control of that situation when it comes up, that situation more often than not is controlling you. Somebody says that word, you're walking down that hallway, and boy, your blood pressure shoots up. You, bunch of really, really awesome things come to mind to say back and, and you, right, your, your trigger finger like, you know, Barney Fife, you know, starts shaking and you, hair trigger, be careful, right? Like someone with a hair trigger, you're incredibly unpredictable if you have these issues that at the mere mention, right, you just, you just go off, go off. A scary lit powder keg. The people have to tiptoe around you for fear. If that topic comes up, well, you're going to explode. So people, you might not realize this, but they tiptoe around you because they know you're going to explode and they know what you're going to explode about. So like Robbie, you're, you're not only unpredictable, but your particular hair trigger issues make you at the same time, incredibly predictable, right? You're now somebody to be used for others' purposes. Just like I use Robbie's issue with the word woman, I got him to do whatever I wanted him to do, right? He was a tool in my hands, and I knew it, and he could do nothing about it because he never dealt with that, that anger that he had. I don't know what it was. 
You become fodder to the social media manipulators. And spiritually speaking, you're setting yourself to, to be a tool in the hands of evil. And that's what I was as a little kid. I was a, I was a tool in the hands of evil. I just tormented that poor guy. But he's very, very strong now, and I take all credit for it. So do you have any hair trigger issues or opinions? You kind of got to think about this for a moment. If we were walking down the hall and I said one of two things, hey, you need to get a mask on, or hey, why are you wearing a mask? Right immediately, a lot of people on both sides of that, either statement. I could talk about inerrancy and infallibility of the Bible. I could, I could wear a Democrat or a Republican sticker, and you could walk by me, and I could get you to say something. A lot of different things I could say. I could talk about my preaching. I could talk about Pastor Dan's song selection. And I know some of you will, not happy with either one of them. I know, I, I know this, right? I hear it. it. It's fine. But we have hair trigger issues. And again, I, I bring all these up, not to, to put it on you, but I, I, I bring up some of these because they're, and Diane has pointed this out many, many times to me over this past two years, I have developed hair trigger issues. I didn't know I had any, but for the past three years, I do. Like there, I, I sit in my, I, I know I've told you, I sit in my armchair and I watch the news and I just steam. And she's like, man, you're, a, you're turned into a grumpy old man. You're, you're, you're getting horrible. And I do, I got to stop and I just got to take a breath. I was like, what is wrong with me? I mean, it, this, this, this pen, it, it's resentment is growing, bitterness. I don't know if any of you are feeling that in, over any of the issues that America is facing. I can't imagine any of you not feeling a certain amount of bitterness in, in some way or another in some of, these, some of these issues. But I want to share with you this morning, if you have these hair trigger issues in your life, the message that I'm going to share with you, the passage I'm going to share with you is going to be very, very difficult for you. Very, very difficult for you to obey, if not impossible for you to obey. It'll be kind of like trying to fill a water bucket with a hole in it, right? You remember the song, right? There's a hole in the bucket, dear Henry, dear Henry. There's a hole in the bucket, dear Henry, a hole. Because apparently Henry was trying to fill a bucket and it had a hole in it. And he needed somebody to say, hey, you're not going to get anywhere unless you fix that hole. What I want to share with you this morning, this scripture is going to ask us to do something, but you will not be able to deal with it unless you deal with a third aspect, right? Right? not trying to confuse you. Let's just jump right into our passage this morning, all right? This is in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. It says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, many folks have read this for a long time as three separate pieces of information, Right? You, can, you can major on a couple of them and not do well on a third, or you can get good of all three of them, or just be good at one of them. Or you can struggle. But it's three separate, kind of the way we read it, these are three separate things that we should work on, which is very, very true. They are three separate instructions, but there are several super important nuances I just kind of want to show you this morning, and it kind of it just changes the, 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 the character of the entire passage, and it becomes almost a different message, but not entirely the first nuance I want to show you is that the first two, slow to speak and quick to listen, quick to listen and slow to speak, they're best read and understood as a combined thought. You can separate them, but as soon as you separate them, they each become a little bit weird, 
right? Because it's not about speed hearing or, or, or being a mute and never, ever, ever sharing your opinion. That's not what this is about. But when you bring them together, it has this, this continuous interconnected thought that's true to both Hebrew thought and the Greek sentence structure. We've talked about that a lot, and this, one, this is one of those sentences, right? But run together, the idea was this, that really, really listening requires an ongoing commitment to hear carefully and clearly what others are actually saying, both explicitly and implicitly, right? Both what they're saying and what they're saying in between the lines of what they're saying. To truly listen, that's, you're hearing not only their words, but you're also trying to catch any underlying feeling. That is what it takes to truly, truly listen. And that requires slow and thoughtful reflection before deciding to speak in reply, right? One continuous thought. Listen, 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 listen with your emotion, listen with your ears, your brain, your heart, listen with everything you got, and only then speak. Doesn't say don't speak, right? We're called to speak the word of God. I know a lot of people will you know, they're going to find out a fool if you talk. You got to talk. We all got to share at some point, right? So these two are best kind of understood, taken together, right? So that's the first nuance, and here's the second one. To be quick to listen and slow to speak, one must first be slow to anger. And again, we don't see this in the Greek sentence structure, but this is really what it is trying to say. You cannot be quick to listen and slow to speak if you have not handled and dealt with what's growing inside you, whether it's bitterness, anger, revenge. If you got any of that going on, you will not. I promise you, someone's going to say something, whoo, you will not be quick to listen and slow to speak, right? You will listen quickly, and you will quickly speak your mind, and things will just quickly get ugly, right? So really, and again, English majors, you can hear this. Everyone else, you can just close your ears for about 30 seconds. Two infinitive phrases, and the third is a propositional phrase. And again, it's something happening very similar to what was happening in Matthew 28 with the Great Commission, right? We read this, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Right? We find out that the, 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 there's several things going on there, but there's one thing going on that everything else falls underneath. The one thing going on is we're to make disciples of all nations. Right, That's the main imperative verb. And then how do we, how do we go about doing that? Well, it's the subordinate participles, of course. Right, We go, we, we bring them back, and we teach them everything that God taught them, taught us. One task completed by three interconnected steps in a journey but in James, instead of imperative verbs and subordinate participles, we've got infinitive and propositional phrases. You don't need to even worry about that. Here's what you need to worry about. Here's the gist of what it's saying. To be quick to listen and slow to speak, one must first be, that's an infinitive phrase, but it's a propositional phrase too, one must first be slow to anger. In other words, if you have hair trigger issues, at the mere mention of which your trigger finger starts twitching, you are going to find it nearly impossible to consistently be quick to listen and slow to speak. You're going to blow it regularly, and you're going to wonder, why can't I do this? You haven't dealt with something going on in your heart. So yes, three separate instructions, but all three so interdependent of one another, hard to see the boundaries between the three, right? But it is now easy to see the heart of the issue. 
Right? The real heart of the issue is, is that word at the end, anger and, and bitterness. And there's a few other words I want you to look at. But that's our, uh, our third nuance. I'm going to segue into that. Gets very easily lost in translation. You're going to love this. Remember how every pastor's told you in English we got one word for love, but three or four or five Greek words, kind of the same thing with anger. I know, I, hang in there. Anger is at least three different ways that it's being used in these passages, right? So let me show you this. This is in, um, from Ephesians chapter 4. This is the first use of the word anger, right? In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold, right? This is not a deep-seated, resenting hatred. This is something that we all experience. Somebody says something mean. We bump our toe, right? The water won't get hot fast enough. We just... But it's always very temporary. It's very easily dealt with, right? You can go to bed not angry. This is something that can be dealt with, right? Temporary, very, very temporary. It's not a settled disposition of an angry sourpuss, right? Which is what the other two words refer to, and they're always strung together in the Greek. They're always strung together. Here are the other two words. This is in verse 31, just a couple verses further on in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, not the same words as was used, don't go to bed angry, right? That passage can be done because it's usually a temporary, right? Your wife gave you a dirty look. She gave you stink eye or whatever. Forgivable, right? We can go to bed happy with each other. It's all doable. Two different words entirely here, right? This refers to both of them used together. It refers to a violent outburst of wrath, anger, and indignation coming from deep-seated and unresolved anger and resentment, right? This is, this is Mr. Rocks over here, right? He's, he's got issues, and you dare bump into him, and you're going to know his issues right away because he's going to tell you. One word for temporary, understandable, treatable bursts of anger, and two combined that leads to brawling and slander along with every form of malice. I want you to understand that that's a lifestyle choice to live a life of anger and rage. It's a choice because these things can be let go of. But I find that a lot of people, and I've done this, my wife has pointed this out, holding on to it feels good. It just feels right. It feels natural. It just... Thing is, if folks decide to begin rubbing shoulders with the lost and the broken, they're going to need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Here's the key, folks. Broken and lost people aren't stupid. I've heard so many Christians say, well, if they would just, well, if they would just, you know what, if it was that easy, I'm sure they would have just. See, but they've been lied to. They've been misled. They now believe the lie because it's become such an integral part of their life. They need somebody to come in and slowly and carefully tell them the lie isn't true. And they're going to push back at first because they've learned to live with the lie. It's become their truth. And as you explain to them that it's a lie, they're going to go through a little bit of a grieving process, right? They're going to go through the full five steps. They're going to, no, and they're going to bar. I mean, they're going to go through the whole nine yards, and you got to give them that time. If you're really going to rub shoulders with the broken lost, don't treat them like they're stupid. You got to treat them like they have been lied to, and they have been misled, and they need to be very carefully brought back to the truth. And it does. It needs to be done so, so very carefully. Again, it will not happen if you've got hair trigger issues with the lifestyles of the lost and the broken. 
Right? If you literally can't pray for them, you've you got rocks in. Nah, I shouldn't say that. So how do we get a handle on these hair trigger issues? Well, the very next verse is a very, very good start. It says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, God forgave you. In Christ, God forgave you. We've been forgiven freely, completely, no strings attached. That's how we're supposed to forgive others. Now, obviously, forgiving is easier said than done, and only God's power is going to bring us to that place of wanting to forgive. But I know it's on some people's minds. Pastor Jerry, they're the ones that need forgiveness. What do we need to be forgiven for? Well, I'll tell you. The bitterness that you've allowed to grow in your heart, that's the first half of it. You've allowed bitterness to grow in your heart. That was a conscious decision. You allowed it to grow. You didn't address it. So now it's growing. And that's caused you to make an enemy out of God's friend. That's the second part of that. Yeah, you do need, we need to be forgiven. If we have any hard feelings toward the loss of the broken, they need forgiveness, but we need forgiveness too. Listen to this from Hebrews chapter 12. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. That's Mr. Rock's over here, right? He causes trouble, he defiles many because he's got bitter root. So we're told to pray and forgive those who hurt us. Right, our prayers and our forgiveness are as much for us as they are for the other person. In other words, bitterness curtails and even blocks God's generosity and goodness. When we're bitter, it's not that God like, I'm not going to work with you. He, he can't because our hearts will not let him in. Again, he's not being obstinate or anything like that. He's like literally, soften your heart so that I can get in. You are not letting me in. Prayer may not change you might not change the one that you hurt, but it'll change you. <laughs> to the point of complimenting, contemplating the impossible, actually asking God to help you forgive them. And that is a huge, huge step. In Luke 6, we're given some of these steps to get us to that point of forgiveness. It says this, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemy, do good those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Right? He says the way to forgiveness requires us to do four of these things, all four of these things. Not only for those who have wronged us, but for those that we've wronged, right? Love your enemy that you made. Do good to them. Do good to the enemy that you made. Bless them and pray for them. <coughs> Absolutely crucial to understanding this passage. Your feelings will only change when your behavior changes. <coughs> Excuse me. Not the other way around. If you wait until you feel like forgiving, it will never happen. Equally important, not helpful to follow the letter over the spirit of the command. You cannot pray for eternal hemorrhoids or that they will burn in hell. That's not praying for them. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, I pray for them all the time. Well, no, you don't. <laughs> You're cursing them. Not the same thing. At the same time, you may not be able to pray that God showers them with blessings. You're not there yet, right? 
You're not praying that they have a godly, beautiful spouse and children that obey and that they live long and prosper. And yet you may only be able to say, God, I pray that you work in your life, in their life. And you might not even mean it. It's just out of a sheer desire to obey God, you went ahead and said the prayer. Now, here's what's going to happen. You keep saying that prayer, and God's going to soften your heart. You can't pray for somebody and hate them at the same time. It's just almost impossible. And Christ knew this. So he said, if you do these four things, you're going to arrive at forgiveness. I promise you. Do these four things for the enemies that you've made. You will love them. In a letter to the Corinthians, Paul tells us that love keeps no record, right? But bitterness keeps a detailed account. Bitterness never forgets. That's what we do over and over and again. We replay whatever it is that we dislike about someone. We replay it over and over and over and again in our minds and our hatred grows. And pretty soon we celebrate when that person suffers. After all, they're getting what they deserve, right? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And we say in unison, it's about time. That's not good. That's not prayer. That's not the churches. That's not what we're to be about. And if we're honest, again, bitterness in these situations just feels right. It feels even justified. But eventually, everybody discovers the truth about bitterness. What feels right, natural, even justified, right? Irony of ironies, bitterness bites back. It's, just, it's wrecking you. It's not wrecking them at all, right? The target of your bitterness, they feel nothing while you continue to suffer and pay the price that I think you wish and prayed that they would have to pay. I want to close with a simple question. Which is stronger? And this is what we have to answer if we're going to participate in evangelism. Right? We can't be looking out and, well, who, who do I, who's just like me? Who, do I, who would I like to have sitting next to me in a pew? That's the person I'm going to speak with. But that person down in the alleyway, I really don't want him sitting next to me in the pew. So, yeah, I'm just going to walk past. And so the question for everyone this morning, do you love your neighbor more? than your hate at their lifestyle, their politics, and their beliefs. And that, that, that has to be answered. And whoever wins, somebody else loses or wins. Which is stronger, your love of neighbor or your anger at the way they live their lives and what they believe? Let me close. Father, it's so hard to deal with humans. <laughs> Father, I recognize I'm a human and I'm hard to deal with. But Father, you, your word says that if we can get along and demonstrate a crazy level of love, the world will take notice and they'll ask, what drives you to such goodness, generosity, and love? Father, and that's the power of our love is it's the proof of our witness. Right? We can't say God is love. We cannot say that you are love, God, when we don't love each other. That's easily seen as it's hypocritical and false. So, Father, this morning, examine our hearts. Examine 
Give us a mirror. Why do we have such hard feelings towards certain people? Father, that's not biblical, it's not holy, and it's not right. So, Father, as we think about evangelism, we talk about sharing our faith. Father, bring to mind the ones in the alleyways. And then do a work on our heart. Thank you, Father. The fact that your word says that you will never stop doing this thing, cleansing our heart from all unrighteousness. Father, we celebrate that this morning in your house. We celebrate your son. We celebrate your spirit, Father. And we thank you for both. We could not do this alone. We recognize that. And we glorify you in it. Thank you, Father, for your son. In his holy name we pray. Amen.